You're about to listen to an episode of Legally Fonds. This episode is brought to you in association with LawSchool.ie. LawSchool.ie is Ireland's leading provider of tuition for the FE1 or King's Inns entrance exams. Each course is delivered live online with a specific exam focus and supported by the latest manuals. Shorter, pre-recorded workshops are also available and courses commence every year in June and November. Register anytime at lawschool.ie and for a 10% discount on any course, just use the discount code LEGALLYFOND. Welcome to Legally Fond, and on this special report today, we've got our man in the sky, Sergeant Des O'Hurley. A large group of people appear to be disobeying social distancing rules and gathering together outside the four courts in Dublin. Sergeant O'Hurley is in the helicopter floating over the scene. from the uh, Garda Siakana uh, uh, chopper uh, your eye in the sky for today we're, we're outside the four courts we're hovering about 500 feet above by God I tell you there's a group down there and you can smell the rashers and stale hair gel off them from up here lads there's about seven or eight down there now we have the sub lads and the ballistics and the rapid response unit from the Garda will be down there in about half an hour or so now behind everyone else of course and it seems it's, it's a civil liberty process by all accounts, but uh, there's a few scraggly-haired lads down there. And I, I, I recognise the Made in China Ireland flags as well being waved about, but uh, it's, it's certainly something that, uh, you know, you, you'd see it every so often now in response to the COVID legislation. And it, is, it is like being up at the Cattle Mart in Mayo, I'm telling you. They're packed in there now. There's about seven or eight of them. They're, not, they're certainly not two metres between them. There's not, they're not even two centimetres between them. They're on track on top of each other, they're about as close as you can get now, hacking and coughing away at each other. Not a social distancing uh, regulation to be seen, but uh, you know that's that's the way nowadays with, with, the, with, the, with the matter of the protest. I suppose they're happy enough now, they're coughing on top of each other, but by God, they're making some bit of a scene, that's for sure. It is himself and herself, you know who we're talking about. You know, I, I suppose you're listening over the radio, but you know, you can nearly hear the wink in my voice when I'm talking about it. Well, if you were sold Senator Ravana Bacic and you're a little bit disappointed that you ended up with Garda Des O'Herlihy, fear not. Senator Ravana Bacic is the guest on this episode of Legally Fund. She's the Reed Professor of Criminal Law at Trinity College Dublin. She's a qualified barrister and she is perhaps most notably a senator for Dublin University and has been since 2007. She's a social justice advocate and she has been since her student days. And the reason we decided to have her on this episode of Legally Fund and we're so grateful to have her is because as a senator, she has made contributions in the Shannad in relation to this COVID-19 legislation. She has direct experience of writing legislation like this, amending legislation, contributing to debates, and making sure that there are safeguards in legislation like this to protect fundamental human rights. Alex had the pleasure of interviewing her. Alex, tell us what we can expect to hear. Well, we discussed the new emergency legislation passed by the Dáil a couple of weeks ago in response to the public health crisis. So we chatted about the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, uh, their perspective, as well as some broader issues like the rhetoric our government's using to deal with the crisis, as well as data privacy. I listened to the interview between Alex and uh, Senator Batchik, and uh, I really thought it was Really, really well done. And kudos to Alex for uh, what is Legally Fond's first interview. Great mix of kind of current topics, uh, as well as explaining legislation and, uh, you know, new pieces of law that have come in as a result of the current situation. So really, really worth worth listening to. 
Welcome to Legally Fond episode 10. It's our interview with Senator Ivana Bacic about the new COVID-19 legislation. Hi, Senator. Thanks so much for coming on. Uh, we really appreciate your time. I just wanted to ask about the recently passed legislation and what your thoughts were on it. Okay, well, I'm delighted you're doing this. I think it's great to see a focus on the new legislation. And I think the first thing to say is that this legislation, the Health Preservation and Protection and Other Emergency Measures in the Public Interest Act 2020, the provisions on the, in this, specifically in Part 3, which relate to the... Uh, the extraordinary powers of Gardaí in particular, but the extraordinary powers generally, that these provisions would normally not be contemplated by any of us in a normal situation. So the sort of restrictions and incursions on democratic rights, like the freedom of assembly, you know, freedom of association, constitutionally protected rights, these would not normally be countenanced in a democracy in other than in a public health emergency of this kind. And I think that was the point that many of us made during the debate. And I certainly made it in my speech on the 20th of March when the bill came before the Shannon. Could you tell me what your contributions were in the Senate on this issue? What I said was, I know the bill contains measures which are draconian, which we would never contemplate passing in normal times but which have been advised by ENFIT, the National Public Health Emergency Team, and which therefore we did support, as did everyone else. And there was no vote, as you probably saw, in the Shannon on it. Just for our viewers out there, could you tell us what exactly a sunset clause is? Sunset clause provision specifically, that was crucial to our support for the bill. So, of course, as you know, the bill didn't have a sunset clause initially when it was introduced in the Dáil. We and Labour had put down amendments to that effect and... We were glad, as, as had others, and we were glad then that the government put, put that in. What is a sunset clause? It's sunset clause is a term used by lawyers and legislators to describe effectively a, a time limit on a, a piece of law, which means that it will only stay in effect until a particular date. So most legislation we pass clearly is in force indefinitely into the future, until or unless it's amended or repealed by a future parliament or a Roptus. But with a sunset clause, it means that the provision only stays in place until a particular date. So it was crucial for our support of part three of the bill, of the Act as it now is, that uh, there would be a sunset clause. And indeed, that clause, that is now in there. And you will see that, um, as we said, part three uh, only continues in operation until 9th November 2020. Now, there is a provision for a resolution approving it continue in force beyond that date but that must be passed by both houses of the Oireachtas and I think all of us are hopeful we won't need to do that and that by then you know the crisis will have been was either passed or being managed in such a way that the powers are not so needed so that was the key amendment made in the door you know you'll probably be aware that there are other measures in the act that were hugely welcomed and that all of us have been pressing for notably the amendments to the social welfare legislation to enable the payment of the pandemic on unemployment support so you know overall there were very positive measures in the legislation but it was specifically part three with the draconian power that enforcement regards that we would have had difficulties with had we not seen the sunset clause even with the sunset clause are you still worried that these powers may be abused i read press releases from the Irish Council for Civil Liberties, they were calling for these powers just not to be used at all and raised questions as to the vagueness. So the vagueness of, you know, who a relevant person 
may or may not be. And the very open-ended powers given to the Gardaí under these circumstances, uh, I think Section 1014, a relevant person may, in the course of exercising a power of a function, including temporarily detaining a person, bringing a person to any place, breaking open of any premises, or any other action in which the use of force may be necessary is lawful, and any member of the Garda Shiakata so required shall comply with the requirements. These are, as you said, very draconian powers, but even from a similar perspective, are you still worried about these very open-ended measures? Yeah, well, first to say that Section 10 actually is an amending section. It amends the Act of 1947, which actually is the Health Act 1947, under which there is already quite extensive power provided for Gardaí where there is a, a, a public health crisis of this nature. So interestingly, and a number of us had already spoken on this sort of, um, before this legislation came to us, but there was already quite extensive and actually quite draconian power available to the Gardaí under the Health Act 1947, but which had never been used. But that, was, that would have been brought in post-World War II, post the emergency, as it was called here, uh, in order to just um, deal with any outbreaks. And I think I'm right in saying, I read up a little on the history at the time, and I think it was about TB, but that was specifically about a concern about widespread outbreak of tuberculosis, of TB, and people not complying with directions to move, to go into isolation in sanatoriums. So I think that's where that originated. Uh, but in any case, so Section 10 amends, section, uh, amends the 1947 Act, inserts a new Section 31A, which specifically refers to regulations for preventing, limiting, minimizing, or slowing the spread of COVID-19. So it's 31A subsection 14 you're talking about, which gives yes, of course, sorry, new, yeah, which gives this kind, but which gives this new power. Now we did, as you probably saw, tease out in the Shannon debates and earlier in the Dole debates some of the language used in the legislation and the definitions. And there was a point made certainly by Brendan Howland in the Dole about concerns about the test that Gardaí were being given powers to on the basis of a person being a potential source of infection, whereas the payments were being contingent on probable source of infection, of course, a different test. But that actually was set out in subsection 10 of section 38A, uh, in section 11 of the new legislation. You see there's a kind of a, a whole um, explanation as to why there's that different language used between probable and potential. And, and I mean, I, I think I, you know, I understood the rationale for that. Um, the other issue around Section 11, yeah, and bringing in the forced detention of persons who would not self-isolate. Uh, we did have a concern about the test that the medical officer must believe that detention is appropriate. And we were concerned that this was, a li- this was rather vague compared to the normal thresholds required for a power of detention to be exercised. Yeah, I mean, again, these are extraordinary powers. So, you know, I suppose one has to come back to this point that... And I totally endorse the Irish Council for Civil Liberties view you know, that these should be enforced very light, preferably not at all, and um, but that policing should be light touch policing on this. And actually, to be fair, I think the commissioner did direct the Gardaí in that vein. Now, there's an interesting later release from the Irish Council for Civil Liberties this week. And I, I think, you know, one reads these provisions now in light of what happened this week in the forecourt. I don't know if you've seen the pictures. Yeah. Of the yeah yeah I saw I saw pictures colleagues sent me from inside the forecourts and it's appalling what was happening outside of the protest but there was also very serious concerns about what was going on inside with people jostling up against each other with emergency um, court sittings having to be postponed for, for urgent care of children and so on because they simply couldn't proceed with all this crowd in the round hall and and so ironically 
the concern there was that the guards weren't enforcing the law sufficiently to stop this sort of very um, dangerous protest continuing. And the ICCL actually did a very good press release saying that there were discrepancies between the guarded treatment of protesters outside of Dublin and the lack of enforcement of laws in, in respect of the Four Courts protest. And you see they, they uh, reiterate their call to carry out a human rights impact assessment before extending guarded powers in any way. But, but I think their point, the point was a correct point about the lack of, it seemed, the lack of consistency. Now, I suspect the guards were taken by surprise on the four courts protest, you know, by the numbers, about 100 people had turned up. That was the John Waters and Gemma O'Doherty yeah. challenge. Yeah. Perhaps you could say that there has been quite a high level of compliance among the Irish public recently, especially in the last two weeks. So yeah. on a general point, and there have been countries that haven't, introduced such draconian measures. Do you think that the same aims could have been achieved by simply getting the message out or simply, you know, encouraging people, so, you know, closing public parks or national parks, that the same aim could have, been, could have been achieved without giving these extraordinary powers that haven't really been seen in the history of the state to Gardaí? As you say, there has been a high level of compliance and most people have been complying without the need for the Gardaí to have any powers of enforcement. But I think all of us were mindful through the debates that this was these provisions were only to be of use where there was blatant disregard for public safety and public health and that that's why policing should be light touch otherwise and, uh, and I think that's been the case I mean we've seen I think one person who's been one person certainly only one person who has been imprisoned for breach but I think was he the only prosecution there's certainly been very few arrests under the new provisions most arrests have been in fact under existing powers of the Public Order Act, 94 Act. So um, I would hope that will remain the case. I mean, there was also one other issue that is very important when you're looking at Section 11, actually, the power of detention and isolation. Yeah, sorry, it's, it's the Section 11 power, which is the much more draconian power. Section 11 is, is the putting in the new Section 38A allows for detention and isolation without, without, you know, without. Uh, going through the normal um, legal safeguards. So that, that there was a, a clear understanding that that was where somebody is, is either blatantly and willfully disregarding the interests of public health or where they're unable to, where there's incapacity. And we certainly had, had correspondence from those involved in the um, mental health provisions, just about their concerns about how they would continue to operate those provisions in the, uh, in the public health emergency and I think I referred to that I think it's on that speech I may have referred to it in the order of business actually provisions are aimed to deal with people who are willfully endangering others or who are incapable of understanding the extent of the risk that's the two area the two specific cases the legislation both sections 10 and 11 are aimed at dealing with and one hopes it will be confined to those two categories but in other words people who are you know minimally in breach or who are um you know, who have or who have any sort of good reason clearly are not going to be prosecuted. And that's the hope. And I think that's the ICPL's point as well. Is there an official oversight of the use of these powers or is there an independent oversight of these use powers? I know that uh, there was a conversation had uh, on Sky News regarding the laws passed in the UK. And I was wondering, is there a similar provision here? Or is there a similar oversight here? Well, there's the normal oversight. Clearly, there's the Guard Ombudsman Commission and there's in terms of persons who are prosecuted. And then under the Section 11 power, the new Section 38A, there's the Mental Health 
uh, infrastructure under the existing legislation. So you still have mental health tribunals and they're operating remotely as before. So there's still safeguards in place and the new legislation comes in under those safeguards. In other words, while it's while this is exceptional law, it isn't so exceptional that it's outside of normal safeguarding um, frameworks that we have. And I suppose the other thing, Alex, is to say that the Dáil is obviously sitting there every Thursday and that any concerns about the operation of the of these provisions would come into the public domain through the through the through the correct procedure as well, through being raised in the Dáil and hopefully in the Shannon once we are sitting again. For such special legislation, you could argue that this requires, you know, a, a new process in the sense that, well, isolation, detention, a lot of these require, you know, it could be quite time sensitive and should there not be a process independent of the normal pathways to ensure that people's rights are respected? Well, that's where the review was very, is very important. But first, first of all, I should say, I absolutely, um, I would absolutely uh, be very, uh, very keen to ensure that you have the normal safeguards available to people in the normal way in a democracy that you, you would have in, in the exercise of any criminal powers. So in other words, I wouldn't want to see any new body being put in to replace existing bodies like the Ombudsman Commission Mental Health Tribunal, because I think you've got a very clear infrastructure there for safeguarding people's rights. Um, but there is also the review provision, our concern, which is important. Um, our concern about that, which I raised again in the Shannon, is the concern about the lack of provision for information. Yeah, subsections five and six, very important, provide the review triggered at the request of a detained person. What is omitted is the lack of a provision to require the person to be informed of this right. And particularly if the person is a child, um, a parent or guardian should be informed of the right to review. So there's an omission there. And a children's protection issue and you know, we raised that we also called for the, uh, a review by another medical officer within 28 days so, so i think that's where the legislation is lacking is in more strength on the review the inbuilt review which is the internal safeguard separately to but additional to the existing other broader infrastructure to safeguard people's rights could we see uh, litigation you know, post-crisis about perhaps the use of these powers, given, you know, as you say, there are certain elements of the legislation that are lacking. Yeah, of course. Yeah, it's very, very possible. If, if they, Certainly if the guards were being heavy handed in their approach that we would see litigation on it and we would see. But I think more urgently, we would see a public outcry about it if that were the case. And, you know, again, you know, democratic processes haven't been suspended happily. And, you know, we do still have people do still have avenues to to raise issues where there's a concern. Constitutional rights have been suspended in a sense that is, is the country treating this as if we are at war? I remember quite a powerful speech made by Emmanuel Macron and you mentioned Laguerre, I think multiple times in his speech. Is that is that what we're, or how we're dealing with it? Is that how, you know, we're kind of using existing provisions, but is that how we're, how we're treating it legally? No, absolutely not. And I would be very careful not to say constitutional rights are suspended. They're not. You know, the constitution is still in effect. The Health Act 1947, as I've said, has been in force for decades and it gives extensive powers, in fact, already under the 19, and you know, the 1937 constitution preceded it and the rights provided for in Articles 40 to 44 of the, of von Rufnaheren continue to prevail. So that's a very important point. And of course, people, it is open to anyone who's been badly treated or feels they have been under the legislation to uh, pursue litigation under the constitution. So, you know, and the courts are sitting still to deal with them, as we saw this week, and to deal with emergency yeah. So, so no, you know, the constitutional rights have not been suspended. I saw the Emmanuel Macron speech. I think it's a sort of a Macron uh, rhetoric of Laguerre, and you know, it was powerful. And you know, the, 
in the same way that George W. Bush or maybe even his father who talked about the war on drugs. I think you know, that's the language, of course, and it's probably appropriate language in countries where they do talk about being at war a lot uh, to use about this, this dreadful emergency. But I'm glad to say, I think I'm right, we haven't seen that language here. We're not screaming libertarian Galatea fraternity quite yet. Um, <laughs> I would, uh, I saw in the news last night that Apple were providing location data of people to the government and obviously the media then. Is there a privacy concern that people's data, people's phones are being used to kind of, well, without people knowing? Like I was, Certainly it's, a, it's an issue regardless of COVID-19, but is, privacy, is data privacy going to become another issue that we'll see? Well, it's already a big issue, clearly. Data privacy is a big issue. And that's why there's been so little, uh, or what, that's why there's been so little urgent movement on the use of mobile phone data to help with contact tracing. I mean, the, the measures that were adopted in China, you know, couldn't be adopted in any EU country so swiftly because of, because we are democracies and because people have concerns about privacy. And I think that's absolutely right. I saw the um, reference, I think it was in, I'm just looking, I think it was in reference particularly to Dublin bus. They were saying, I mean, Dublin bus were collecting passenger data and that's the basis on which the government come out today and said they're concerned about slippage and complacency because the passenger numbers are up. That's data that's clearly not, mm. isn't breaching anyone's rights. I did see reference to Apple and I can't remember what that was in relation to, but I think it was generalised location data. They weren't providing any individualized data there they were just providing a pattern data about patterns if the, if there's any you know if there's a more um individualized use of their da- of data or sharing by apple beyond that sort of very generalized information i think there obviously would be concerns i should say though alex i mean i was in criminal practice for many years and i defended in many trials before the special criminal court and it's absolutely routine in um particularly in organised crime and in sort of cases I was representing clients in where mobile phone data is used by the Gardaí for investigation of crime and that there are safeguards in place. Now, we obviously, as Defence Council, you always have to um, interrogate the use of it and, you know, and, and so on. But, but it is quite routinely used in, in yeah, prosecutions and not just organised crime, actually. I'm just thinking, I mean, the Graham Dwyer murder case. Well, that was Senator Ivana Bacic speaking to Alex Guys, what stood out to you about the interview? Um, I actually found it quite interesting that uh, the measures brought in in the 1947 Act were originally to do with TB. Now, obviously, we have a vaccine for TB now, which kind of puts a perspective on things. But the Irish government has had these powers for quite a while. We've only started discussing them again because of COVID-19. What I think was quite interesting was the issue of data protection. Uh, particularly considering for anybody who's looked into data protection in the last couple of years, GDPR has become such a buzzword that is now thrown around constantly, even as a joke that, you know, the smallest um, accruance of data is is, is subject to, to these regulations. But of course, it, it does play a role in what has become a, a, an interesting topic uh, in the current situation, which is the concept of um, of contact tracing and the potential that applications might have on your phone to be able to say who you're in contact and who you might have spread it to if you now have the disease but of course this comes into another area of law so that's quite interesting maybe we can do an episode on that sometime definitely i have the sunday papers in front of me and it mentions like uh, marion finucan like i'm just rustling them the hse are hoping to launch an app next month it's voluntary 
Uh, it's opt-in only. It's not going to have your location information. It's not going to use the GPS on your phone like I think apps in Singapore and, and Austria might have done or South Korea. You self-declare if you have symptoms and uh, where you are, what age you are and other basic details about yourself. What do you guys think about an app like this? Would you be happy to download it and use it if you had symptoms? But there was a survey the um, the last uh, in the last couple of weeks that suggested that something around only seventy five percent of people would be willing to take uh, a vaccine uh, for coronavirus if it were to come out. So that suggests to me that these people would, uh, you know, this this very same quarter or twenty five percent of Irish people would be somewhat suspicious or wary of sharing their data with the government in such a way. So. Again, I think that presents a, a lot of difficulties. Well, first of all, maybe the uh, number would be higher if they listen to our episode on vaccines. But anyway, I digress. The point is that I, I understand that it's a collective effort. And I think that, you know, if you look at countries where they've had more success, they've used technology to their advantage. And, you know, I assume best intentions when it's coming to something like dealing with COVID-19. So I was for a time sacrifice my privacy for the greater good so selfless i am i'm saying you are a hero alex joke by the way we should all go out and clap for you this evening at eight o'clock applaud for alex (laughs) so last thing i think that came out of the interview that senator batchik was keen to emphasize was this idea of a sunset clause i think she said that the current legislation that the power is conferred by us terminate on the 9th of november of this year which is a long way away and God knows how long in lockdown we will remain or in partial lockdown will remain before there's a vaccine. What are your thoughts on that and how long these government, the government should have the powers and how often should the powers be reviewed? The 9th of November, just it's a very long, long way away. Kind of an arbitrary date as well. I mean, why the 9th of November? Is there any reasoning behind the 9th? Is something happening? Is there solar eclipse? <laughs> the stars aligning. Will we have a government by then? Um, <laughs> no. But I think, I mean, look, the, the nature of this is obviously it's being assessed day by day, and, um, you know, the, an immense amount of change can happen in the course of a week. And to use that old maxim, a week is a long time in politics. Look, they had to set a date to, to set a date kind of thing. And it's a bit of, you know, it's, it's just down there in writing. But uh, I think. You know, we'd hope that the situation would have improved, if not considerably, at, at least substantially, that that level of lev- legislation won't necessarily be required come November. But we'll see. I'm really glad that it's in, though. I'd rather have it in than not, because, you know, the extent of these powers goes a bit beyond the pale. And particularly when we don't have a government, really, it's a caretaker government. Yeah, well, look, please, God, we'll all get back to some semblance of normality and... You know, we won't have to record this podcast remotely for much longer. Well, stay safe on behalf of all of us. And if you enjoyed this interview, Alex is going to be doing another interview with another Trinity Law professor over the coming weeks, which you'll hear on our podcast. Tell us about that. Uh, We're going to be interviewing Professor David Kenny about the future of our constitution and what it's going to look like. So what sort of referendums could we expect in the next couple of years? And what sort of rights do you think that we should have in our constitution and if you have any particular referenda that you want to suggest send them to legally fun on instagram or on twitter and we'll ask 
guess it just remains for me to say on behalf of all of the team, Gavin, Alex, and myself, that's all of the team. Thank you for listening and tune in next week. (laughs) 